Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. It's the final World Championship special. As always, I'm joined by legend Bobby Julik. Mate, after that week, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Gus. Hello, everyone. Was in Colorado during this last couple of days doing an event, uh, the Tour of the Moon event, which is promoted by Roll Massif. And uh, I tell you one thing, if you guys ever have the chance to ride around Colorado National Monument, go for it because it is worth the 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 sign up fee the trip no doubt it spent a lot of time str- spent a lot of time streaming uh these races on on my phone but um definitely enjoyed it man we were just a uh, chocolate block full of great racing it was it seemed like it was a particularly action packed world championships and um we're going to get into it we're going to start with uh all of the racing but before we do that let's just hear from our sponsors Fizzo is made possible with the support of Saras, a manufacturer of bike accessories committed to making their products in Madison, Wisconsin, USA. Makers of car racks, bike infrastructure, and bike trainers, Saras Origins are firmly rooted in an unwavering dedication to the bicycle. And, more importantly, the quest to set cyclists free to get in touch with the world around them. Whether that be to or from work, in the virtual environment, wherever the compass may lead, Saras' range of products have freed millions to experience the power of the bike and ride without limits. To learn more, visit saras.com. Bobby, let's go back to the start. We covered briefly because the under-19 men's race finished just immediately prior to our uh, episode on Friday. But I think we should just touch on this because it was obviously a remarkable win for Quinn Simmons for the USA and we probably should just sort of expand on what's happened in the in the days after that but incredible ride by him and and that and 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 that sort of set off well it continued on what was already an incredible week for the USA and what was going to continue to be uh, quite an incredible week for the USA yeah I think it's good that we touch on that because it really kind of set the the tone for for the road races coming up you know we had great success in the time trial Getting a you know a, a silver and a bronze medal in the under twenty three, of course, with Chloe, just dominating the women's field. So you know, I I did some digging with about Quinn Simmons, and I was riding. I like yep. I said, I was in Boulder in in Colorado these last couple of days, and I was riding with an old buddy of mine, Dirk Friel, who was one of the founders of of Training Peaks, and he told me something really interesting about uh, Quinn that I didn't know was, you know, not only is he a road racer and now world champion, but um, obviously he also does the mountain bike. He was second in, in the Leadville 100 this year. But he also told me that he was a bronze medal in the 2017 uh, junior cadet category in ski mountaineering, or skimo as they call it. So this kid... What's skimo is basically, I think, when they skin up the the trail or the the course and then ski and then ski down so this guy is 18 years old and already like a three-sport athlete i mean he's just an aerobic monster yeah absolutely it seems like uh (laughs) it seems like there's a few of those guys i mean and there's a weird connection between skiing and uh and cycling obviously the well-talked about primos rojlik as a uh primary example of that interesting simmons has turned pro Immediately announced it, like within hours of finishing the race, uh, with Trek Segafredo, and you've kind of you you you've said it's the it's another LeBron Kobe. Uh, I'm not a big basketball fan, but 
What does that kind of mean in cycling terms? Yeah, just skipping from you know high school straight into the pros, like uh, LeBron and, and Kobe did in in basketball, and only time will tell. Uh, I don't have an issue with him doing this because I think it is an individual scenario. Um, these kids, mm. you know, in the past were like, oh, you know, don't put too much pressure on them. You know, they're not ready. But man, this last year has really showed that these young guys can go and compete with the best uh, very, very quickly. So I, w- I wish him the best of luck uh, for sure. Timing is the key on these sort of things. You know, this is a, a professional sport. Um, so yeah, wish, wish him all the best. And I, I definitely want to go back and, and again, give a shout out to, to Magnus Sheff- Sheffield. He was just a beast that entire day. Um, still got third, working for Quinn, you know, controlling the group. And he's a junior again next year. So, man, oh, man, this future looks bright for the, for the U.S. juniors, that's for sure. And we're going to touch on, as you said, that, that, that transferring straight from the junior ranks into the World Tour professional ranks a little bit later on in the show because it, it calls into question, I think, more so with the under-23 men's road race. But before we get there, let's just talk about the under-19 women's race and another U.S. gold medal. What is going on? Yeah, we touched on it a little bit on that last episode. You know, the, the team morale, the momentum, the good vibes within that, that Team USA camp, we're, we're in an all-time high. I mean, Ian and Brandon got medals. Then Chloe got a gold. And then a 1-3 by, by, by Quinn and Magnus. Um, fantastic. But this race in particular, as the, the men, junior men's was, was a great race and, and included a lot of really good teamwork by these young women. They seemed to race like seasoned professionals. Megan Yastrab, with help from her teammates, put herself into perfect position in that final. She responded to that acceleration from the recently crowned uh, junior women's time trial champion, uh, Gareva from, from Russia, and was tactically perfect in that, that final climb up to the line. Uh, you know, there was everything on the line. She had a very small gap to the others. And she was just as cool as the other side of the pillow with, with all that <laughs> riding on it. And she just kind of played Gareva a little bit, timed her sprint perfectly, and, and won the Junior World Championship. That was unbelievable. But I had to feel, I felt really bad for the, the Russian girl Gareva because, um, you know, she made the move, maybe tried to play a little bit too tactical. Uh, she had, a, you know, a, a gold or a silver at worst. And she wound up getting pimped on the line and, and finishing just outside the medals. So felt, felt kind of bad for her, but takes nothing away from the teamwork from the junior women and the just masterful display that Megan put on at, at such a young age. And you said at the start just there, you sort of said like morale is obviously high and that can have a big influence. But I mean, you know, being cool is the other side of the pillow. That doesn't just come from morale. Do these girls race together? all year like it seems as though the usa have put in place or I, mean, I don't know whether it's from the federation or whether it's from teams like luck cycling um that private teams that that are developing the youth yeah they just seem to be head and shoulders above the rest of the world in terms of um in terms of their cohesive development well yeah just looking at the the team uh breakdown uh you had megan who rides for rally uha cycling but then you had you mm-hmm. had ava you have uh, Gabrielle and you have Zoe, who are all on the Lux cycling development team. So three out of the five uh, race with each other and probably see each other quite a bit. In the men, backing up to the junior men, 
they had uh, Quinn, uh, Michael Garrison, Magnus, and Matthew Riccatello all on the Lux Cycling Development team. Uh, the only one that that isn't on that team is uh, is Sheffield. So somebody's doing something right at that team, and I think we should yeah. dive into that a little bit later. But um, great work. Roy Nickman and, and the whole Lux Cycling Development team. Yeah, it's definitely worth... Uh, we should definitely take the time to do an episode with that because I, I find that program remarkable. Let's talk about the under-23 men race, 171.6K. They have been getting the worst of the weather and you know their race, again, was run in pretty torrid conditions. It seems to be that this race is, is kind of almost like got an asterisk next to its name now as a, as a result of, of what went on. Bobby, can you kind of just explain what happened at the end of this race and then we can kind of expand on that more? Yeah, that that was a major bummer. Um, and you're right. I think this race will always have an asterisk next to it in in my mind. And I'm really mm. disappointed with the UCI's decision to disqualify the winner at that time, Niels Ekhoff from the Netherlands. Let's not let this incident take away from what a great race it was. I think these young men it let was, it all yeah. hang out. It was a nail biter all the way to the line. Um, you know, there was a lot of favorites up there. There was guys having flats. The weather was bad. You didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, when the, those groups came back together, my favorite, Tobias Foss, uh, the winner of the recent Tour Avenir, looked to have it under control. But, man, his legs just kind of left him a little. That final climb there, yeah, that final climb there seemed to, like, throw quite a few people um, that, you know, wound up, had their position seemingly perfect and just stood up and went nowhere, which uh, we saw in the men's race yeah. later on and as well. But yeah, you can't, you're right. You can't take away from eventual winner, Samueli Batisella. Uh, amazing ride by Thomas Pidcock, who looked to have it won up until a few meters from the line. Um, and of course, Sergi Higuita, who is one of our favorite riders who we've been talking about a lot. Yeah, so that that kind of gets through the the results, but then coming up, exactly. um, you know, twenty minutes after the event, I mean, you know, the the kid is on the on on top of the world. He just won the wor world championships, only to have some video footage and obviously a protest of some sort. And I would really like to know who brought that to the UCI officials' attention, because. There, there was a lot that went wrong, and um, you know it's been reported, it's been talked about over and over. So we know what the the final result is. I don't agree with it. Um, when there is a crash with 130k to go, and remember this race was shortened to only 172 kilometers, so it was basically you know yeah. early early doors in the in in the event. But you know his his DS may have made a little bit of a mistake by being so obvious that he was pacing just his rider back up to the field. I think that he yeah. could have been a little bit more uh, creative, maybe, while pacing him back up, maybe given a few of the other guys that were involved at that same crash that didn't have a car in the gap, a, well. a little bit of a toe, and then kind of bring them up to another car and then just let them, them leapfrog. Because... That wasn't the most crucial moment of the race because there was 130 k to go. So perhaps that was a little bit of a panic situation that could have been, you know, camouflaged a little bit better. But let's face it, this is part of our sport. This happens quite often. Yeah, and especially 
if they were going to disqualify him, they should have done it before he became he changed the race. Remember, he he was gapped Absolutely, off yeah. with uh, Higuita and, and another rider, and they were the guys that came back to that lead group of, I believe, four or five, uh, right at the base of the last climb. So that that changed the entire outcome of the race for sure. And you know, I hate to say it, but they they made the wrong decision here. I think this was such a great Absolutely. world championships. Everyone was loving it. And then, you know, just a little pie on the face here again for our sport, making making a decision that, you know, they say for the integrity of the sport. But I don't know, maybe those guys never raced and never were involved in those situations, never got on a toe. If the guy held on to the car, if the guy held on to the car, I would have no problem whatsoever saying bye bye, bye bye. But he 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 didn't. didn't. He he went within the rules and. Yes, that gray area was a, a little bit difficult, but you know, he he was on the he's on the Sunweb development team all year, and then he graduated up to the World Tour team as a stagiaire on the first of August. You know, this this guy yep. is is a is a great rider. He finished actually seventh in in the TT, and you know, it just it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. But I know, you know, we should move on because this is just going to go on and on and on. But exactly. um, you know, bottom line, I had a little bit, I was a little bit confused. You know, all the rules with riders that are in the world tour that can, that are still eligible exactly. for the, for the under 23 category. Um, so this brings a bigger question. I think this brings, brings like, like that incident and what, you know, like the asterisks being alongside this race, I think brings to the forefront potentially a bigger issue, which is what is the point of the under 23 men's events if you know like if we're seeing guys who are 19 years of age in the senior ranks getting medals in the senior ranks and racing purely in the senior ranks you could almost argue that any result in the under 23 ranks isn't the true result because those guys aren't there you know what i mean and then guys that are getting the opportunity to race world tour are allowed to come back down essentially back down or go backwards uh into the under 23 ranks and and compete is this is this an obsolete category? Do we need the under-23 men's racing, or does we need rule changes? I, I think we still need the under-23 uh, rule changes because not everybody. And remember, this is a pretty new topic because this has only came out in the last couple yeah. of years that these guys have just just waltzed into the world tour out of the junior ranks and are already competitive or winning, been good. winning yeah. grand tours at the age of 22 when they're still eligible to race the under-23 uh, category. But... Sergio Higuita, who finished fourth, rides for Education First. I mean, this guy was slicing and dicing with the big boys and beating some of them in in sprints. And that's why, man, when I saw him in that group, I was thinking, okay, this guy, this guy's got it hands down. Um, number six, mm. uh, the guy who finished sixth, Pascal Eckhorn, he rides for Jumbo Visma. You had number ninth, uh, Matthew. I'm not going to be able to pronounce this name. Uh, yeah. Bergadieu from Direct Energy. At least he's on a pro continental team, right? But he finished. He but still, he did the and he did a lot of he did a lot of races and and uh, mm. you know with 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 the higher up category, the world, world tour guys. guys. Yeah. And then um, as far down, and I may have missed some, but as far down as 42nd place was uh, Jesper Philipsen, who rides for UAE, UAE Emirates. Um, yeah, so he's, he's I got to wonder, 
if there's going to be some sort of change, because I do believe that the under 23 category has to to be there to showcase that development between junior and the elite world tour riders. So I'm wondering if in the future they'll say, Hey, listen, if you're riding a certain number of world tour races, I don't know, half a season or more that you should, you should have to race the elite category. Um, one example, one prime example is Mark Hirschi from Switzerland. He finished 13th in the under 23 individual time trial and then raced the elite road race and finished 27th. That's kind of... St- yeah, see, that's, take it, that's taking the piss there. That's, you can't do that. Like, you can't have one foot in, you know, best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, that's remarkable that, that, that that was allowed, that the UCI didn't do anything. Although, given you know, their performance this year, uh, the UCI, I think that they sort of don't really have a handle on what they're doing. I would argue that they, that the under 23 category is obsolete, get rid of it, use the funding that they, use the funding that they put into that and other events for the under 23s and fund development programs like action. You know what I mean? Like, like programs that, uh, like, like, uh, show rider 2020 that, uh, that, are across the board bringing riders through but show, like allowing them to get exposure at the highest level but also with a focus on youth and and bringing them up because i feel like you know there's no credibility in that under 23 event any other under 23 event that runs throughout the year you know without the best riders in it like y- yeah i feel like the credibility is not there i feel like it's there's there's money better spent or that money is better spent on developing riders and exposing them at a younger age to the higher levels. Um, because as we've seen, you know, like once upon a time it was like, oh, as a bike rider, you didn't get good until 27. But that's not true now. The best bike riders in the world are 19 and 20. Um, I'm going to disagree with you so, a little bit yeah. there because I said on on a prior podcast that that's one of my favorite events to watch because you're looking at the glimpse of the future. But we're, we're I but know. It's not, but it's not the glimpse it, of the future Exactly. Anymore. And that's where I think we need to tweak it is, you know, if these are the guys that we're watching in the Tour of Spain or winning, you know, doing world tour races, I think they need to forfeit their their participation in the the under 23 so that we see a real, like, next generation guys that need to get that chance. Those guys that are in the world tour, they've already had their chance. They're already drawing a salary. They already have a name. They already have a fan club. But these guys, so yeah, exactly. there's there's so maybe it's like the amateur worlds. Maybe the solution is they call it the amateur worlds. Man, there, there there's so many things oh, to consider here. Yeah, they're, they're um, yeah, I just hope I hope the UCI <laughs> and the teams reach some sort of agreement in the future to exactly. make this what it should be, which is a showcase of the next generation of the guys that we don't normally see on that world tour stage instead of like a hodgepodge mix of, of guys that were winning stages in the, in the tour of Spain and now racing uh, the under 23 worlds. Would that even matter to his contract? If he won the world championships uh, in the under 23 category, would that matter? Would he get a bonus uh, for example, on his world tour team? I I don't think so. But um, some, some of these riders that, you know, do just go right into the the world tour. Some of them can handle it and some may not. Mm. And this may be one of those, you know, hindsight being 2020 things. 
but yes, this is a perfect exactly. Time, I think time will tell over the next five years these young guys how they develop and and whether they hang in there. Right, but, but who are we if 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 a rider is physically, mentally, and emotionally ready to make that jump? Who are we? <laughs> That's exactly. Who are we to say to hold them back? No, you can't make. 100, 200, 300, 500, whatever, you know, some of these guys are getting yeah. paid. You have to wait and you have to take risk and you have to, you know, per, perhaps risk injury and maybe you don't get that chance ever again. So I think it's, and that's it's, it. yeah, it's exactly. a very... That's a tough question. Like, how can you hold a kid back? Like, I know what I was like at that age um, and, and you know, like, was like so hungry for it um, and then as a result probably burnt out later on. But, there's no way you could be. I could be stopped at that at that age. And I bet you that you know you try and tell, you try and tell Pogacar like, sorry man, you're not allowed to do the Vuelta next year. You've got to like hang back. Yeah, but I mean, a, per, a perfect no example is Kevin Vermeca from from the U.S. He was our best place finisher in mm-hmm. 41st place. This kid is 18 years old. You know, he, he's a first yeah. year. You know, is he going to be? And then we see a guy like Quinn win the junior and basically leapfrog him and just, just to, straight to, up. totally straight mm-hmm. up. I don't know if we're setting a good precedent or a bad precedent, but at the same time, my my feeling is that it's much easier for a young, uh, much harder for a young non-European to make that jump than it is a guy like Remco, who's probably still living at home with his parents. Um, yeah. But only time will tell. And we are in a very touchy situation here where I think we do need to kind of find some guidelines and, and follow them and, and put some of these kids first. But that being said, you know, I don't have a problem if, if a team is willing to pay and take the risk and develop, most importantly, develop that rider, not put pressure on him to become the next Tajay uh, Pogachar or the next Remco Evenpol. Mm. Um, then we'll see some stuff. And, you know, we'll get to that a little bit later with, with Mads Peterson, but yeah, it's it's a tough situation, and like I said, I hope the UCI and the teams reach some sort of agreement in the future because um, we we gotta we gotta do the right thing here. Exactly, and I mean, you are in in the end too. These kids are, are, are very young, and uh, and you are playing with their lives here. Um, so it'll be interesting to see to see how this plays out, and hopefully it plays out for the better. Before we move on, today's episode of Fizzo is also made possible with the support of Garmin. Take your training to the next level with Garmin's line of edge cycling computers, which go beyond just data collection to provide dynamic performance insights that can help you beat your best, like heat and altitude acclimation. Garmin's GPS bike computers are built tough, have maps for road or trail, and are available in the button-operated 530 or the touchscreen 830. Get yours now at Garmin.com. So let's move on, talk about the women's race. Uh, Bradford to Harrogate, 149.4k. Weather was reasonably good. If I mean, just another epic, another epic display of um, of of a, of a phenomenal athlete. And I, I was, I really loved this race. I thought this was a fantastic race. I know. I just love. I love. A, I love a long range solo, and I love a, a, a dominant display of athleticism. What do you reckon, Bobby? Yeah, watching this live, I just couldn't believe my eyes when Amalek just went all in on that hard climb with about a hundred k to go. I mean, she was sprinting up that thing. And I, I kind of had to check the little box in the, you know, the upper left-hand corner of the screen to see if I was right, if they were closer to the finish than I thought they were. But no, she, she went all in, absolutely all in. 
And I, I thought she was going to try to make a selection, but when she went that hard, there was no one that could go with her. And that was it, right? Like it wasn't like people just made the decision to not follow. No, but I think there was, yes, she went so hard that I don't think anyone could follow at that moment. But then, you know, tactics came in and were like, wait a second, what is this girl thinking? I think even one of her teammates was kind of blown away. And, <laughs> and it was just, you know, tuning in and watching and seeing that gap go. And then you realize that this is, this is for real. Like, this could go all the way to the line. And she just never buckled. I mean, she had her pacing down right. She had her fueling down right. And, you know, it looked like when 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 the group kind of got together behind her and, and Chloe launched, I was like, okay, here we go. But then, you know, she she bent a little bit, but she didn't break. And then the, mm. the, the length of the race itself uh, for Chloe she started to like that monkey jumped on her back a little bit and you know she wasn't able to to get a medal but those ladies man they they fought all the way to the end and it was it was absolutely every woman out there for themselves and yes this was Chloe's evidently Chloe's longest race road race that she's ever done and remember she's only 22 and she more than held her own um, even though she didn't came, came, come away with the medal. You look at uh, the lady who yeah. won, Anna Van Vluten, 36 years old. She, she does altitude camps with the members of the Michelton Scott World Tour men's team on Mount Tita. She's won almost every race out there, including the Giro Feminine, gosh, at least once, if not twice, uh, world champion in, in the TTT. Um, second place, Anna Van Bregen, 29 years old, same story, ex-world champ. Ex Olympic champion, the road race, Olympic champion, you know, five know. times winner of Flesh Wallone. Uh, Amanda Spratt, 32 years old, she's won the Tour Down Under three times. She's been a medalist in the world championships and many other races. Chloe, fourth place, 22, longest race of her year. She beats uh, Elisa Longo Borghini, who was a medalist in the world championships and the Olympics. And sixth place, Marianne Voss, 32 years old, absolute bad ass woman that is ex-world champ, ex-Olympic champ, and has won almost any, every other race under the sun. So, man, Chloe has an amazing future. Her performance on in the road race, I thought Chloe's performance in the road race, really, for me, like, cemented her um, as a racer in that sense of, like, you know, we know that she doesn't race on the road um, with these World Tour women very much at all, and she's been track-focused. And, yep, to come out and win a TT, like, that's physical ability. Um, and, and obviously like mental preparation and being, but like, but basically you're, you you only have to worry about yourself. But here we saw her, you know, alone in this race, uh, or like isolated, sorry, and, uh, and aggressive and, and race tactically well. And, and also like didn't back down. So, yeah. And, yeah, and the I people think, behind uh, her, that for me was exciting to watch. You, you know, you, you can say all the accolades that you want, uh, for Chloe and they're all true, but you know, you need to look at where she came from and how she got there. You know, with, with Kristen Armstrong uh, riding for the Show Air 2020 team, with the tutelage under Nicola Kramer and, and Mari Holden, uh, with, with Jim Miller in the background there, because he was Kristen Armstrong's coach, and mm. now they call him the, the grandfather coach of, of Chloe. Um, that's the big story. And luckily, exactly. luckily today, we have the one, the only Nicola Cranmore with us um she's the founder and gm of the show air 2020 team and 
the New World Time Trial Champion is, is Chloe Digart is on her team, and she's raced there since she was 15 years old. So we are just absolutely stoked to have Nicola on today. Hi, and uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Welcome, welcome, Nicola. I guess the first question is. Um, what did you think of the women's races at the World Champs this year across the board? They seem to be epic. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, the the terrain was really um, challenging. Um, the weather too, and you know, there's there's just a deep history of bike racing in Yorkshire, and the fans were incredible, even in the rain. And uh, it was all around a fantastic World Championships and. For the women, you know, I, I know most of the, the U.S. riders and a lot of the European riders, but it was particularly fun to see the U.S. athletes doing incredibly well. And, uh, of course, Chloe with her, you know, stunning performance in the time trial. And then her road race was just phenomenal. I mean, you know, I've said before, we, we don't know what to expect from Chloe Diger. And mm. that's because she's not managed to get through a season uninjured. And, you know, we talked about it before about last year, she raced 15 days the year before it was 13 days. Um, and so this year she was off of her bike all, all winter due to a concussion. So for her to come out and, you know, basically use the North American race season as training to, to get to this point is outstanding. And, you know, big kudos to Kristen Armstrong, her coach for, just really uh, mapping out a very, very um, tight training plan for her. And then with our team, of course, we scripted a perfect road season for her to culminate in these performances at World Championships. And, and that's what it all is, right? It's not just the on-the-day thing. So tell us a little bit about your experience with, with her development over these last seven seasons. Um, you know... We, we all know that we don't know what to expect from her, but, you know, the way that she held herself on that podium when she was getting the jersey, you just had a feeling that this is not the last time that we're going to see her. So what 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 is so we've watched her development, but now what what can we expect from her moving forward? Right. So, yeah, I mean, Chloe, when she was very young on the team. I, you know, I saw something special in her and it, and it wasn't the results because again, even as a junior, she had injury from uh, basketball, but it, there was something about the way she carried herself and her determination and the fact that when she lost, she cared so much and um, she, she hates losing. And, and I saw that in her as a junior. And one of the things that, that Chloe has, which is, really um, unusual is she just has um, this ability to just visualize and set an intention. And I recognize this when she was a junior athlete, we were at um, junior nationals in Lake Tahoe. And so it was right before her national championship time trial. And she says to me, I want to win world championships this year. And I said to her, Chloe, let's get through nationals first. And anyway, she won nationals, went on to win junior world championships. And when the Yorkshire course was announced a couple of years ago, she said to me, and she was injured at the time and missing out on world championships that current year. She said, wouldn't it be so cool 
if I won the time trial in your home country when it's in Yorkshire? And I said, yeah. And anyway, she, she just is able to manifest her, her visions. And once she sets an intention, she follows through. And I never question her intention anymore because it's, they've all manifested. And, you know, she's been very um, injury prone every single year she's been on the team. But we've managed to um, just work out a really scripted program for her and it, it works and you know there's plenty of people that now see her success and say oh she should race in Europe she should be on a big European team she should do this well you know what we've been doing with her works obviously and uh, she's got a lot more left in her and you know speaking to the road race she that was really ballsy of her to just attack those world-class women and she was going for gold. I mean, she thought that she could hunt down Van Vluten. And, you know, when she first went off solo after her, she was closing the gap. And then for a number of reasons, like you said, the distance of the race, maybe underfueling, um, even though she, she had a strict fueling program, you know, when you're caught up in the excitement of the moment and the, the weather and the race and the terrain, you sometimes forget and you don't have radios. So you don't have your director mm. reminding you to eat and drink. Um, someone like Van Bluten, of course, you saw her eating constantly and fueling constantly. And that comes from years of experience. But what, what a stellar performance for her. And, you know, she, it, it's almost like fourth place was better than being on the, on the medal podium because she really wanted that gold um, and she tried. So, you know, massive kudos for her for putting herself out there, seeing what she was made of. So, so now the, I think the million dollar question for me is with the Olympics coming up next year, I'd like to be a fly on the wall when you guys are sitting down uh, this off season and coming up with a phase plan to try to figure out what she's going to focus on. Do you think she can be world champion on both the track and the road? Um, I think she can. You know, the, the, the problem is right now, there's, there's a lot of controllables with the time trial. And I think that with Kristen's experience of mapping towards a high performance event like the Olympics, we've got that figured out. I mean, the first thing we did after Chloe won the time trial was go on the phone with Kristen and we weren't celebrating. We were like, yeah, good job. Let's now plan the Olympics. How are we going to get there? So there is no off season for Chloe. Um, she'll be racing uh, Track World Cup in four weeks, um, and then she will take a little bit of a break, and she'll go um, again in January uh, to another Track World Cup in preparation for World Championships to help the team qualify. Can she be a gold medalist in both at this point? Um, that's not up to Chloe. That's up to the rest of the Team Pursuit team. And with the loss of Kelly Catlin, they're going to struggle a little bit. Um, I don't think that they're a gold medal contender at this point. And, you know, they've got uh, Jen Valente, who is also super strong teammate, also on Showa 2020. Um, and they've got uh, Emma White as well from, from Rally, who's really new to this as well. And then they have another few girls that are popping into the program and have been working and training with the program. But right now they're not gold medal contenders. So, you know, that part's not up to Chloe. If it was, they would be. Um, so, but she still will focus on the dual discipline for Tokyo. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, sw switching gears a little bit. I would really like to know your opinion of the mixed relay. 
I was I was quite disappointed, especially when I saw how strong the the women were, the U.S. women were in the time trial that we didn't feel the team. But that's me. That's just super fan on the couch watching it on on TV or on my app. But but what what are people like yourself with the boots on the ground? What do you guys think about that event? Well, first of all, I would never recommend my time trialists to take part in that event a couple of days before the individual time trial world championships. Uh, you know, there's just too much room for error and it's, you know, nobody needs to do that kind of effort right before their, their time trial effort, um, their individual time trial effort. Uh, secondly, I, I, I don't love the event. I think it's... Um, some resources and time that is taking away from a potential U23 women's road race and time trial. Um, I firmly believe that that should be included in world championships. And it was always talk of there aren't enough women. Well, there are enough women. Um, you know, when you're a junior and you're graduating from the junior ranks at 18 years old and you have to go up against the best athletes in the world right away, it can be very um, unmotivating for some of the young athletes. Um, you know, then again, we have athletes like Chloe Diger who, who could go straight into those ranks. But I think to just keep the, the flow of development healthy, I think that a U23 World Championships for, for women is, is critical. They have it in mountain biking and they have it in cyclocross and all those categories are full. Yeah, I'm. See that this is interesting because we were talking earlier on the show, um, and and you were you were listening in, obviously, um, about how I I believe they should get rid of of the under twenty three category altogether and use those resources on developing, as you said, those riders coming through. Because, for example, right, you you, you obviously Chloe, like she would be under twenty three, um, but evidently the best in the world. And so, my my kind of thinking is that does that undermined completely undermined that category by having someone who isn't under 23 not race in that category and go straight on um and and bobby and i were obviously discussing this earlier i'm intrigued to hear what you think about potentially like is there another um another way we can engage because it's happening across the sport right we're losing we're losing um you know athletes from sort of as they're leaving that junior ranks or as they're leaving school years they're disappearing they're no longer riding they're no longer racing anymore and like, yeah, I wonder if you've got any thoughts right. on other ways maybe to engage them. Yeah, would you have allowed Chloe to race the if there was an under-23 race this year, mm. would you have put her in the under-23 category or let her race against the elite? Definitely race against the elite for her because yeah. um, we just know her capabilities. But I, it's an interesting concept to use those resources um, to put into development programs because, you know... I'm in awe of the, the blood, sweat and tears and, and finances that go into these junior and U23 development programs in the US. Um, you know, they're producing some phenomenal athletes mm. and it, it really does take a lot of passion for people to do that. And I know that these programs can always use more resources. I mean, there's programs like my program and the, exactly. the Hincapi program action you know evolo hot tubes lux i mean they're doing just such great work um and often it's thankless and so extra resources it, that's an interesting um interesting comment that could go towards some of these programs 
Yeah, cause, and, and I mean, like, your program, obviously, we, we again, touched on earlier, I was like, and, we, and I think we need to de- dedicate an entire episode to what the USA is doing or what, sorry, private people within the USA are doing for developing sport. And we've seen at this World Championships that, yeah, you're the dominant nation. Um, and and it's I, I feel like it's got to be due to these people such as yourself who are just dedicating their time to putting together a program and figuring that out themselves. And I feel like there should be some help from the the, the world governing body. In, you know, I, I look at Australia and we didn't even field under-19 riders. You know what I mean? We didn't even send a team. And we're wondering why we're no longer a dominant cycling nation. Well, it's like because we don't spend time on our, you know, on our kids. Like half of our under-23 riders don't ride for the Australian World Tour team. You know, more of them are going... Elsewhere, so I just feel like I, I I think that yeah we need to spend more time talking about this and, and trying to engage the UCI and people like that to maybe think about a new way of of developing the youth in the sport. Like you said, this these champions, these American champions that we saw this week, their their performances, you know, didn't just happen overnight. I mean, there's mm. there's years of development, and you know, one of the one of the things that we really need to be prepared for is this army of teenage cyclists that is coming through the NICA ranks. There's 20,000 of them plus. And, you know, these are kids in high school racing mountain bikes as part of a school league. And once these kids graduate high school, what do we do with them? You know, so there aren't enough teams to support them. I mean, some of them won't go on to be professional cyclists, but, and some will switch from mountain biking and, and follow other disciplines. But, it really is something that needs to be addressed before it's too late because it's almost too late already. Um, you know, NICA is, is absolutely thriving. Um, one of the other key components is, you know, just mentioning the coaches um, like Megan Jastrup's oh. coach, um, you know, Roger Young, who's at the Carson, uh, the LA Velodrome. I mean, he's been spending time with Megan since she was very, very, very young. And, um, definitely deserves recognition and he's brought up a lot of athletes through his program as well as of course Jim Miller and Kristen Armstrong the the coaches of the other two champions um they've been been working uh for years on developing these athletes and you know again they don't come out of nowhere USA Cycling definitely bridges the gap with um offering international programming for these Mm -hmm. athletes which is also you know, a, a critical, um, particularly the U23 men, that program is funded by the USC Cycling Foundation members, which is a group of individuals that are just very passion driven and allocate funds specifically to um, junior and U23 programming and women's programming as well. Nicola, unfortunately, we're uh, running out of time, but I feel like we're going to have to get you back on for a show where we talk more about this because this is really interesting and there's a lot more that goes on like as you said with the people behind the scenes uh, and and this program and I want to look at that more because that's sort of for me I'm fascinated by this and I think that there needs to be more recognition brought to it because I feel like if more people within the cycling world knew about how this operates and what's actually going on out there they would probably engage with it more and, 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 and athletes who are coming out of the junior ranks would probably look a little bit wider um, for opportunity. So, as always, thank you so much. Um, we'll talk to you soon, no doubt. Uh, Sounds good. Take care. <laughs> take care. Thank, thank, thank you, Nicola. You're welcome, Bobby. Let's move on to the final race of the world's champion, the world championships, the men's road race. Uh, 
shortened by 24k in the end, so it went from 284k down to 260 due to flooding. Uh, we knew there was bad weather on the way, but this turned into, at least weather-wise, this turned into an absolute epic. Yeah, everyone knew what was coming, and unfortunately, <laughs> the, the weather reports were were accurate. There's just one way to describe those miserable conditions that these these warriors had to deal with, and, and that's epic. It had yeah. epic written all over it from start to finish. And, you know, very infrequently do you have that sort of weather with, during the World Championships when that jersey is on the line. I mean, it's happened in the past, mm-hmm. but this, this looked, along with the course— this looked like one of the hardest races to deal with mentally because we've talked about before, you know, when it's raining, you know, 50% of the guys at the start Shit, line yeah. aren't really into it, especially this time of year, maybe may less. But it was, it was crazy. You know, weather and crashes, especially the crash with Phil Gilbert, really took a toll on that uh, predictability factor. You know, when when you look at when you look at the start list, you're like, okay, this is these this guy's strong, this guy's strong, this team's strong, that team's strong. But when you throw in the variables of cold, of you know, water on the road, you know, rain, freezing rain, guys having to to not be able to fuel correctly because they can't get their hands, their hands are so numb that they can't get their hands in their jerseys. They you know, because it's think about it. You know, you have a rain jacket on over your jersey and your jersey pockets may be stuffed with gels and bars and all sorts of nutrients, but you just can't get to them. Access them, yeah. And by the time that you maybe find a place, especially remember, because they shorten the race, they actually wind up doing nine laps of the circuit instead of seven. So this was like a PlayStation video game. There was a lot going on. There was up, there was down, there was attacks, there was turns, you know, bad weather. You had so many other things to think about. Um, and if you weren't spot on on your fueling, um, you were going to have an issue. And and we saw that come to fruition with, with quite a few riders. Yeah, we did. We saw a lot of the favorites um, either just never, you know, never come into focus um, or in the case of... of VDP, um, Matthew Vanderpoel, spectacularly exploding when he was essentially, arguably in the uh, in the gold medal, you know, on the on the top step of the podium with 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 twelve k to go. Can you talk about like in a race like this? How does you know um, like how does cold weather affect your metabolism? Because I I get it. You can't you can't reach for food a lot of the time, and that with with gloves and your um and your your gear covering you, but cold weather like that's obviously got to have a huge impact. And is that what and is that what we saw with 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 Vanderpol? He just simply ran out of out out of uh, of, of energy. Yeah, well, let, let, let's talk about what it takes to stay warm. You know, mm-hmm. thermal regulation takes a lot of energy. You know, when when you're cooling down, when you're too hot, it takes energy. When you, when you need to warm up, it takes energy. And these are these are things that we don't quite factor into that normal training thing because i always say like on race day you know don't try anything new you know dance with the girl that brought you sort of thing (laughs) and and but but in this situation when you're missing a little bit of fuel and then your body is burning more fuel to just stay warm i mean you saw guys wringing out their hands shaking their hands trying to you know get the blood going a little bit and you know you just you just have to have that 
that that structure to to deal with that sort of weather. No rain jacket, no pair of gloves is going to be 100% waterproof. You know, that clothing selection is is very important as well. How you layer, you know, because a lot of the times you want to put on that that rain jacket, but then you actually start overheating from the inside and sweating just as much, but you're still cold because once you start to go downhill, you get a little bit of a chill mm-hmm. and it's, it's all sensations. And some of the, some of the best guys in the world, the classic specialists that deal with this all the time got caught out. You know, it's, it's, it's been pretty good weather this, this last, you know, couple months. And, you know, there were, there were just some mistakes made, but there's no way to predict what your body's going to do in in these sort of conditions. There's no doubt about it. But it seems, um, it seems there's know, no way to predict who's going to win, right? No, no. All those favorites just went out the window. You know, we had that that uh, uh, original eleven rider break kind of form, and it wasn't until Lawson Craddock kicked off on 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 the circuits that that really opened you know the throttle for those you know in those last two three laps of you know who was going to win. And, you know, when, when he kicked off, he brought, he brought, uh, Stefan Kung up with him. And all of a sudden there was, uh, Mascon, Trentin and VDP, Vanderpool, mm. like the number one favorite. And I was blown away that Sagan, Greg Van Evermet, well, Gilbert, we know because he was out because of the crash, Christoph, yeah. Valgren, Matthews, full song. They, they, they didn't go with him. Everyone. So, like, like, like the whole bunch should have been there, right? If they could be. There's no way he should be able to get a single meter. Exactly. And okay, maybe he didn't go up with the five-star favorites and then Still. tactics played in, but it's, it's, it's Vanderpool. Like, how yeah. could you let him have one meter? You're, you're absolutely right. Um, but I tell you one thing. Those guys were going, and when... When when Vanderpool pulled over to the side of the road with 12k to go, I think you could hear a pin drop around the world. There was no one, no one knew what was <laughs> happening there. I started to think, wait a second, you know, is is he like not confident with this group, and then he he doesn't want to waste energy, and he's going to wait for the other big hitters to come up to him. But man, you saw right away that as soon as he pulled off to that right hand side of the road, you knew that the the Some dreaded it, bonk yeah. had happened. The lights had and gone out. When, when when the lights go out, especially that late in the race, there's there's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you can do. But not only, you know, it's been a long season. Let's face it. He had the opportunity to consolidate all the belts, if you will. Yeah. You know, he's, he's world cyclocross champion, world mountain bike champion, and had the chance to be world road race champion. Was, j- was this a story not... Only the fueling, because I'm sure the fueling came in, but just too much. Just tired. I mean, the the guy was it just 12 kilometers too much for him this year? That that that's my question, and that's the question that we'll we'll have for a long time. But um, man, I mean, he's like Chloe. You know, he didn't get a medal, but he gave it his best shot. He went down fighting, and man, he's he's just a, a very very exciting rider to watch in the future because remember, you know, he's only what, 24? Yeah, he is. He's like, it's ridiculous. So, so when, 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 um, Mascon gets dropped because he did a lot of work for Trentine and then yep. Vanderpool pulls over, you have three guys going for medals. And I tell you one thing, my money was on Trentine. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like he was a walk up start. 
like we spoke about him before the Worlds, with New Year's in competition, we, we sort of picked him and VDP as being, you know, the two guys that would potentially battle as they did at Tour of, of, uh, of um, uh, UK. And here he is in the driver's seat. Yep. Everything, you know, Italian Tifosi are going crazy. Um, you know, he hits out with 200 meters, which you just think is just going to be a done deal. Yeah. But man, after those kilometers and that sort of weather, I bet you his legs just felt like wood. And I think he, he was trying to will it mentally more than anything. And then you saw the pedal stroke and the body language of, of Mads Christensen. Who led the and, sprint out, by the way. He was on the, like, he led it out. So, like, also exceptional. Yeah. You know, comes through with an amazing career-defining win, the first Danish rider ever to win the world championships. Just amazing, right? But Mads has been around for some time now. He's only 23 years old. Uh, He wouldn't have been able to race because he was 23 um, uh, this year. But uh, I have to admit, I I didn't see that coming at all. No way. You know, he did win the Grand Prix at Isberg the week before, um, but he's been racing with Vanderpool since they were juniors. He got second in 2013 to Vanderpool in the world championships in, in Verona, Italy. Um, but then he didn't finish the under 23 road race in 2014. He didn't even do it in 2015. He finished 11th in the under 23 in 2016. Didn't finish in the elite, uh, the elite race in 2017. Didn't do it at all in 2018. And now he's world champion in 2019. That, that's quite a story. That's quite a story that success doesn't come overnight. You know, you, you, you got to have a good head on your shoulders, good support from your team, and that internal drive and motivation that, uh, to succeed. Uh, he has it um, for many, many more years to come. I'll be interested to see if this is, you know, the beginning of a great career or is this going to be that story that, oh, you know, he should have stayed under 23 a little bit longer and, and whatnot. But n- n- no, I think, this, I think this world championship jersey is going to bring him wings like it, it, it does quite often, as long as he keeps his, his feet on the ground. But um, man, Denmark must be going absolutely nuts. They, they win, you know, the, the time trial under 23 and the elite road race. Um, something tells me that there's going to be a major influx of excitement into, into the sport of cycling. Obviously they're developing a lot of riders, a lot of the riders, Danish riders, we've seen more Danish riders kind of in the Peloton and be, be successful, this young group of people, um, than we ever have before. So I wouldn't be surprised if Denmark comes out of this with the world tour teams, uh, pretty soon down the road. I know. Surely they're going to, surely they're going to. Um, and mate, that, 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 that result is a fitting end. I think Mads winning, um, hopefully it launches him to the next step. I mean, evidently an incredible bike rider and, uh, someone we're going to hopefully see more of in the future that capped off a, 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 a great week of racing and, um, Bobby, as always an absolute pleasure, uh, to all of our listeners. Thank you so much. Um, if you want to Get in touch with us, uh, superfan at velonews.com or at Bobby Julik for Bobby on Instagram or at that is Gus for myself. Yeah, Bobby, until, uh, until the next episode, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Gus and, uh, and Nicola and all you listeners out there. You know, we started this little podcast project back in Tour of California and never thought we'd make it to, gosh, we're in our 
30 some odd episode now. So um, wrapping it up, it's, it's been a great experience. It was a great world championships. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a great experience uh, for me here at Fizzo. Uh, we're not done yet. You know, stay, stay tuned periodically over the off seasons for some new shows touching on a, a whole range of different topics. Obviously, we won't have much racing going on, but there's a lot to talk about in the world of cycling. So we really, really appreciate all your support. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on. Nice.